Today's text is Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your heart is healthy, or if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thanks, Molly. Um, if you don't know, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, my man, uh, Dwayne, was here last week. Hey, was he legit? He was. He's a good dude. Um, so uh, he, he shared with us uh, last week. I was... I was at Redemption Arcadia um, giving an update. They're the church that uh, planted our church plant. I will say, just completely side note from the, before we jump into the text, I had this kind of revelation. I, I love to preach. It's uh, something I really feel like um, I'm comfortable in doing. And, um, man, I'm to- totally saying this not, like, not just because I'm standing up here, but I would rather attend this church and never preach again than preach at any other church um, every Sunday. I just, I realized just sitting at Arcadia, all the people I knew were there and, and, and recognized them and they were friends. And, um, but there's, I, God has been knitting my heart with more and more of you guys every single week. So take that for whatever it's worth. I love being here. Um, so if you, you don't know, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we believe the best way to go through the Bible is verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And that's honestly what we've been doing. We've, uh, taking this uh, approach to uh, not the entire book of Matthew, but the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus, the guy we follow, and he's the big deal. And so um, he lays out all these things. And the big thing I want you to know to take away, just to kind of catch you up as to where we are, the premise of the Sermon on the Mount is laying out the fact that we live in a world right now, going to sound very Christian if you're not a Christian in here for a second, we live in a world right now that is controlled by darkness. It is a kingdom of darkness, okay? And, and Jesus comes on the scene and he provides this kingdom of light called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And it's mentioned more times than anything else Jesus mentions within the Bible. And so uh, it's important for us to get a hold of that. He's been walking us through that, okay? Now, as we come to that, um, keep that kind of um, on the docket. I want to explain something. But before I do, I want to just read the last couple verses that Molly came up and read today. um, Because I feel like this is the the premise of everything we're going to get at. So if you can, if you already haven't opened your Bible, verses 31 through 34 in chapter 6 of Matthew. Let me read it again. And then we'll come back to it and break it down a little more. But um, just listen to what this, I mean, I would consider this part of meditating on it, right? Um, Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about your Um, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There's a translation, the new living translation that is not so word for word. and And it reads it like this. So don't worry about these things saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your deeds. Seek the kingdom of God above all else 
and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. A guy named Eugene Peterson uh, took the Bible, and he would say translated, I would argue commented on um, the Bible, and wrote something called the Message Bible. And this is how he translates these sections of verses. He says, this is Jesus talking, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to not be so preoccupied with getting, so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all, the, all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up over what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. So here's where I want to start. Um, uh, there's a term that I feel like I've coined in my mind and I want to share with you, and it's called centering the Bible. And I feel like it's detrimental to um, what I would argue um, a craft that, I, again, I, I like preaching and watch of other guys as they teach and preach the Bible do, and I feel like is, is, is really difficult. And what I mean by centering the Bible is the Bible causes the Christian to live in these crazy tensions. And so there's a moment where, let's take, for example, God's wrath is talked about. And then there's a moment where God's love is talked about. Now, of course, we would say these are not mutually exclusive, but for the sake of the way we understand such terms, God's wrath and God's love. And so we read in the book of Revelation that one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to provide justice, hear me, and blood is going to flow in the streets, okay? Jesus, blood is going to flow in the streets. Now we hear that and we go, yes, that's true, but remember God also is love. And what we're doing is we're taking justice in that moment, we're taking wrath in that moment, and we're centering it. Instead of living in that reality, we try to center it. We try to make God a, a little more palatable. Another example of this is, is the way that the Bible speaks of works, fruit, the way that Christians are called to respond, the way that Christians are, are, are called to do things. We're going to see this in spades in Matthew 7. And then at the same time, faith. So the tension that we live in, the Bible creates, is there's certain moments within Scripture that the Bible goes, listen, you don't have to do anything. Jesus has saved you. Stop trying to work for your salvation. And if you've been here longer than a week, you know I've continued to beat that drum. But at the same time, there is moments that go, if you don't do anything, you're just showing the fact that you're not saved. And what we want to do is we want to center the Bible, right? Well, yes, grace, but remember, there's works too. And the Bible's teaching about works. Well, remember, it's grace too. Instead of allowing the Bible to just bleed us dry and going, no, let me jar you for a second. You need to work out your salvation with fear. You need to work out your salvation with trembling. Be careful. Be careful. Instead of allowing the Bible to do that, we want to push it towards the center. Instead of allowing the Bible to keep us in tension. And I would argue that there are very few things that we as modern day Western American Christians do in trying to center the Bible as when it comes to talking about money. The way that we find our comfort in this world in monetary currency and things is sinful. And what Jesus is going to put in front of us in this moment, everything within you is going to want to center. Well, let's not go to the poverty gospel. Let's not, no, let's live in what Jesus is saying right now and not try to make him a little more palatable, but understand he's laying out something that is, is meant to jar us. It's not easy. It's not easy to hear what he's going to lay out for us. Now, um, as we go about this, I want you to understand that um, I'm bringing three things to the table with what Jesus has talked about, and I want to share these three things. The first thing is this. Um, I'm a driver. I don't know if you noticed that. I go hard when I'm, like, in it. Um, and so um, when I decide to be in something and I decide I like something, I'm all in, okay? So, like, two months ago, I figured out that I really like pesto. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever tried this stuff, but it's amazing, so Candace, I made sure every time she goes to the store, you buy a jar of pesto because I'm putting it on my mac and cheese. I'm putting it on my toast. I'm putting it on my eggs, put it on everything, okay? Have you had this stuff? It's amazing, okay? I did the same thing about six months ago with cumin. I don't know if you've ever had cumin before, but that stuff's amazing, okay? It's like cumin in my cereal. Like, so, so, so when, I, when I figure out, like, I like, now, now, because my personality is like that, this is true whether it be, is to build something or play sports or whatever it is, for whatever reason, when I'm in, I'm like, let's go and not look back. Let's not stop. And, and because of that, when, when I became a Christian, um, I, had, I had and still have, and this is the first thing I'm bringing to the table, 
personal struggles that I see with culturally accepted sins within the church. Like, man, I, I struggle with the fact that um, we work ourselves to death um, and neglect our children or our kids or our idols. Family is such an idol. Eating is an idol. Like, I, I, I see these things, but there is very few things, if anything, that I struggle with that I feel like is a culturally accepted sin within the church, like money, greed, comfort, and things of this world. And, and, and I don't, I still, I'll be honest, like I, I, coming from a place of like um, nothing, a lot of you guys know my story growing up homeless in, in crack houses and, and sleeping uh, um, where I slept, like in parks or cars and seeing what, what the church has, it was jarring for me. And there's, there's this book called um, Rich Christians uh, in the Age of Hunger and, and the author makes a phenomenal quote that haunts me. I mean, honestly, guys, this is, I'm just telling you what I'm bringing to the table and we're gonna talk about what we're gonna talk about. The guy's name's uh, Ronald Sider. But he says this, what an ironic tragedy that an affluent Christian minority in the world continues to hoard its wealth while hundreds of millions of people hover on the edge edge of starvation. So hear what he says. What an ironic tragedy that an affluent Christian minority, us, he's talking about you and me right there, an affluent Christian minority in the world continues to hoard its wealth while hundreds of millions of people hover on the edge of starvation. I'm just telling you because of my personality, that like, that drives me, uh, and, and, it, and it messes me up. You can ask my wife. There have been moments where Corbin was just born. He's eight now. He was like one or two years old. We maybe just had Titus, and I walked in, and I was so, so distraught that I felt like things were consuming our life. I remember walking into her house and said, we're selling everything. It was a Friday night. I pulled everything out of her house, the DVDs, the TV, the couch, everything, and I put it out onto the driveway, and I sold it all, uh, in a, a yard sale the next day. Everything we had, me like 400 bucks. Anyway, but the point was, and then you know what I did? I gave all the money to the church, right? Because in my mind, this was like, affecting me. I don't want, and so, so what we did is we, 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 we slept on floors. We sat on floors. We ate dinner on the floor. Like we had paper plates and, and there was this thing that, that I, I, so I need you to understand I'm bringing that to the table. I'm bringing that to the table. I'm not even saying it's healthy. It might've been and still is unhealthy, but I'm just telling you, that's what I'm bringing to the table. Now, all the while, the first official job I get outside of Blockbuster, Chuck E. Cheese, is, uh, which both I worked at, the first job that I, that I, I was Chucky. I'm not kidding. I got some stories. That's true. I totally was. And you know what? Side tangent, that's how they hook you. They're like, you get to be Chucky. You're like, dude, I'll be Chucky all day long. And you're the first time you're doing it, like, I'm Chucky. And the second time you're like, yeah, this is cool, I guess. And then the third time you're like, like, you're like, they can't see your face, but you're like, okay, like this. And it looks like you're like, yay, but you just want to punch these little kids in the face. Anyway. So, but my first official job was being an assistant youth pastor and eventually a youth pastor at a church in North Scottsdale. And I've told some of you guys this, the, this story, but here's, here's something about that, that church that, that, again, the second thing I'm bringing to the table. Every single Sunday, minimum, and I'm not over-exaggerating when I say this, minimum, 20 minutes was spent talking about money. Before the sermon ever got started, like an elder or a board member would come up. We're going to take our tithes and offerings. I don't know if you guys grew up in the church, but there'd always be an offering song. And, and right, so they're going to pass around the offering plates or pass around the offering baskets. Or, and, and, and they're going. And, and as they do that, right, there's this, hey, we give, we give, we give. And, and that affected me as well because all the while I'm seeing how much money is affecting and it's just idolatrous. It's, it's like, and I, and I couldn't stand it. And because of that, that's even affected the way that we have talked about money, honestly. Like because of that baggage, the way that the service is set up, I don't know if you're new or not, but you'll see, we get up here and we're like, hey, at the end of service, like, hey, there's some boxes you should give. Now let's go into communion, okay? Like it's, it's almost like we've erred on the other side. And so um, I wanna just stop and, and say something to that because today is not about giving, but I believe giving is a huge answer to what Jesus is driving towards. And I don't mean just giving towards the church, but know this, um, I'm not saying anything or we're not reading this passage because we're struggling financially. Redemption Peoria as a church plant, I'll just be straight. We're killing it, you guys. God is blessing us. He's blessing us financially. He's blessing us numerically. Uh, spiritually, the spirit is so moving within our communities. It's so awesome to be a part of. And, and financially, I'm not like, I don't plan after service to bust out the Joaz chest and like everyone give because we're giving a building fund. That day will come, believe me, okay? But, but that, that's not why I'm doing this. We're doing financially. But there is something that uh, Stephen Walsham had brought up to me that I feel like helps get at the undertone of something we need to struggle with a little bit. And that is this, um, this term that Stephen uses called giving per person. Um, and, and here's why I bring this up. Our giving per person, though I know some of you, um, as the most generous people I know, honestly, some of you give in extreme amounts. 
Our giving per person is alarmingly low. Like nationally low, statewide low. Of the 10 congregations, we're probably the third most socioeconomic highest on the ladder. We are the second lowest from the bottom in the redemption congregations. We're a dollar per person above Alhambra, which is poverty stricken. Now, we can immediately look, as uh, those of you who are not um, college students, you can look at the college students and say, well, it's because the college students are giving because they're in college. But here's the reality. Tucson is 70% college students. Flagstaff is 60% college students. Tepe is 50% college students. And their giving per person is astronomically higher than ours. Now, I feel comfortable saying this because I'm not asking for money and we're doing financially well. But check this out. Giving historically within the Christian faith has been a spiritual attribute, has been a spiritual discipline. So you like when I get up here and, and, and tell you to read your Bible more, to pray more, to fast more. We like that. Yeah, I know I should witness to my friend. But name the last time you were in an accountability group and someone said, hey, how much are you giving? We, we, don't, we don't touch that. No, hear me. It's a big deal. And, you, and we're going to see why here in a second. It is a big deal. So um, here's my goal with doing this. With that said, in this overarching tone, um, um, my goal this morning is to be puddle glum. If, if you don't know who Puddle Glum is, he is a character in the Chronicles of Narnia. And um, here, here's how the, the story goes with Puddle Glum. He's obviously not a predominant character, but there's this part where there's this witch. Um, she has created this fire, and the fumes that are coming off the fire are slowly inebriating the other characters, right? And so they're, they're kind of giving into what the witch is saying because the fumes and the flames and the smoke that's coming off of this fire, they smell it, and they just buy into what they're hearing. They buy into what they're seeing. And Puddle Glum, from afar, notices what the witch is doing to these kids and to these characters, and so he knows he's got to put out that fire. But to do so, he recognizes he has nothing to put it out, and so he uses himself. So he begins to stomp out the fire with his hands and with his feet. And the children, the characters start to wake up because they start to, or they stop smelling the fumes of the fire and start to smell puddle glum. They, they start to smell the sacrifice. Puddle glum in such a way has given himself to wake them up. Hear me, this may sound super charismatic. And if you are not a Christian in here, I need you to give me grace. But I believe there is a demonic force of consumerism that we have bought into as a church that we've got to wake up to. And my prayer is that in this moment, God would use me like puddle glum, that you would wake up from your inebriation and see See this plan, see what has seeped into your own hearts because greed is so unique and that you can't even recognize it. No one in here is saying they're greedy. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, talks about this idea which all of our communities are going through. He says, I, I gave a, a conference on adultery. I gave this little seminar on, on gambling. I gave the seminar on gossip and then all these seminars will fill. And then I gave the seminar on greed and no one came. No one knows they have this thing deep within our hearts. And my prayer is that God would wake us up to see what's going on, because there's more to it. There's more to it. It is killing us. It's killing us, you guys. So um, with that said, we're going to go through Matthew 6, and we're going to lay this out. And, and as you do that, I need you to hear that, that theme, right? Because when I'm discipling guys, I'm discipling them through, through three different types of lens, lenses when it comes to sin. There are visible sins. Like if you walk on in on somebody who is sleeping with another woman that's not his wife, that's a visible, obvious sin. You are obviously committing adultery. But then there's these heart-level sins, right? Where um, you're looking at a woman who's not your wife, and you're thinking about sleeping with her, and you're committing adultery. And in this moment, um, someone can come up to you and go, are you looking at her in the wrong way? You can completely deny it. It's a, it's a heart-level sin. So there's obvious visible sins, then there's these heart-level sins, and then I would argue there's these unrecognizable sins that the Holy Spirit wakes you up to, that you didn't even know looking at that woman was a sin until the Holy Spirit goes, hey, no. And my prayer is that this has been hidden, this idea of consumerism has been hidden, that, that God would wake some of us up to it. That God will wake some of us up to it. Okay, let's do Matthew 6. Bless you. Matthew 6. Um, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, so there's three kind of imperatives in this uh, that, that, that we're going to see. It's do not be anxious. Do not lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Um, and seek first the kingdom. Uh, uh, and and you'll, you'll lay all these out. But here's why, why I bring up the three imperatives. If you don't know what an imperative is, think of a verb that is telling you to do something. So if I say the word start, it's not an imperative, but it's a verb. But if I look at you and go, start, 
right? I'm telling you to do something. Run. I can say the word, but when I'm telling you to do it, it's an imperative. And Jesus is telling us to do three predominant things. There's two smaller imperatives, but the three dominant imperatives that Jesus is going to lay out in front of us are what I just said. Do not be anxious. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven or don't lay up for yourself treasures in heaven and seek first the kingdom of God. And I pray as we hear those, you'd wake up. And I mean this, you guys. I I spent my, my day fasting this week praying for this moment praying that God would use this to, to see the spirit of this age and what, what's going on within us. Um, so please, please know that it's bigger than, than we're probably even thinking in our own hearts. Verse 19, chapter 6 of Matthew. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. There's a first imperative. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Another imperative, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, um, as we read those words, let's state some obvious things. Even Christians are recognizing now that that's not true. I mean, you're not going to see like, you can't bring your U-Haul with you to heaven and all these other things, right? There's no, like, there's a recognition that we understand as Christians cognitively that I should be living for um, treasures that are not here on earth. I should be giving away to such a place that I don't get the reward now. And we saw that when we tied this passage in two weeks ago to, to, to the passage we did two weeks ago. So we, we see that and we know that. Okay, but let me drop some knowledge on you real quick, some things that are probably obvious that I think Jesus and his loving kindness is bringing this up. Um, and I'm not a big stat guy. I was going to throw them up on the screen, but I'm not. Just hear me when I say this. Statistically, it has been proven when people are polled since the 1950s, happiness in America has slowly been on the decline. Okay? Well, at the same time, material possessions have slowly been on the incline. The average American uses as much, consumes as much energy and, and, and fuel uh, uh, as 27 Ethiopians. Okay, now I'm not making to, well, maybe you should feel bad about that. I'm just throwing it out there for you to know what Jesus immediately is coming out of the gate with is for us as Christians to live in the age of darkness and to live like them as if we care about all these things. We invest our money into these things. We throw all of our finances and all of our chips into these things. We're missing it. Now hear me. I am not saying it is a sin to be a millionaire. What I am saying is what we need to contemplate and what Jesus, I think, is asking us to contemplate is when you made $40,000 and you lived like you were making $40,000, well, suddenly when you made $80,000, why? Why as a Christian does that mean you have to suddenly live as if you have $80,000? Proportional giving within Christianity is so, like, misunderstood. I don't know where it's coming from. Like, is that not, in Mark 12, the whole purpose of the widow and the mite? That Jesus is standing by the offering box. Some of you give your 10% who are the make $100,000 a year. And then somebody who gives, you know, makes 20 bucks a, a week cleaning a house gives that money. Jesus goes, she gave more. It's not proportional. It has everything to do with giving all. And so in this moment, listen, it's not a sin to have money. It's not at all. It is a sin to have to have money. It is. It is not a sin to have money, but it is a sin to have to have money. And you suddenly losing your bearings because your saving account is going down. You suddenly feeling like you can have, you can have. You are investing in the wrong things. And, and we can see this because the next verse, clear as day, maybe not at first, uh, uh, gives us a glimpse as to why we're doing this. And I, I explained this a few weeks ago. But when he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of light. Or if your, your, your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then... Uh, the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? And we had talked about how essentially what he's getting at is this parallel with uh, Matthew 20, that our eye, what we're seeing, we don't see the beauty of the gospel. We don't see the beauty of salvation. And because of that, because we, we've, we've uh, looked at other things, like remember a few weeks ago we talked about how we're looking for the accolades of men to be seen? We're missing it. And so everything else within us is dying. It's decaying, and it's a great darkness. And then he makes this declaration, an awesome declaration, no one can serve two masters, for he either hate the one and love the other, or he, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. So the question, I think, if we want to center the Bible, right? We want to center it. Well, are you saying give everything? It's so crazy. This is, this is what I don't, this is bizarre to me. Um, we'll read the book of Acts and we'll see, and the church gave everything sold their houses, gave everything. And we're like, 
I don't even know if in a wrong way, but so quick to exegete our way out of that. Like we're so quick to origami the text to go, well, when Jesus told the rich young ruler to give everything, he meant like he needs to be willing to give everything. And I'm going, bro, I'm reading the text and he told him to give everything. You understand? We want to quickly get away from the Bible pulling us going, you cannot serve God and money. Now, nobody in this room is going, yeah, I'm giving my life to money. No, 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 no. But your bank account tells us that. So you want to say, I'm not serving it, but you're, you are working more to buy more instead of working less and having less. I mean, this, this is the reality. You want to invest in the new Jordans? You want to invest? Like it, like, and, and here comes Christmas, right? So I don't know how this goes about. If, if you have a spouse, I don't know how this works. But the Lexus commercial where the husband brings the wife out and she's blindfolded and there's a bow on the $60,000 Lexus, somehow... He didn't know, she didn't know that he just spent 60 grand. That would never fly in my house. But she's going, she's going, yes, I needed that new. So, so the 2018 is what you have to have. Hear me. I think Jesus would gently in a loving voice go, you need to rethink things. You are investing in the wrong things. And so again, I'm not saying it's a sin to have a million. I think what's crazy about the gospel is if you got a million, you have an opportunity to give more than those of us who don't. Not an opportunity to live more lavishly than those of us who don't. Now, I may sound like some like, like let's let's just give it all and let's start a commune type deal. But I'm just telling you, I'm throwing this out in front of us. Jesus is going, you cannot do both. You can't. And, And so here's the question I think we probably have to wrestle with before we go to this next section is, well, then how do I invest in heaven? How do I invest in heaven? I I don't know fully, but I think Jesus gives us a glimpse in Luke chapter 14. You don't have to turn there. Um, There's no slides today, because if you don't know, Josh Miles, who leads our our band, he's our worship guy, he, uh, um, it was his birthday yesterday. We're not going to sing happy birthday. It was his birthday yesterday. Um, And as a birthday gift, it takes a lot of time for him to do slides. He's the one who does our slides. I didn't send him any slides. So together, this is our birthday gift to him. We're not going to have slides besides the text. We're going to just listen, okay? Um, So Luke uh, 14, verses 12 through 14, this is what it says. He said to the man who uh, uh, who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich friends or I'm sorry, uh, or your rich neighbors, lest they um, also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So there is, at the end, you can hear it, there is this repayment at the resurrection. There is a repayment when it's all said and done. So, So what is he getting at, right? So his example, and he goes on to tell the story of this wedding banquet, Thanksgiving dinner is coming around the corner, and I would almost guarantee very few of us are planning on inviting the panhandler. (laughs) Like, you got people who would make your dinner uncomfortable. You would have to, like, be on, if you will. You have to buy an extra plate, be a lot more work. Now, I don't want to get lost in just the analogy because it's very clearly, um, I think, what Jesus is getting at when he says, don't so they can repay you. Um, I think that the nuance and the best way we can invest in heaven, the question that we can ask, and I'm not saying this is the end-all be-all, are you giving to yourself? I think that's the question we need to ask. When you give to compassion, even a good organization, when you give to compassion, your heart is going to wonder what compassion is doing with your money. Compassion is the organization that you sponsor a kid for like 40 bucks a month or whatever, right? So when I grew out my dreads, which were banging awesome, um, about five years ago, I cut them and I donated them to Locks for Love. They didn't want them, whatever. Um, so so when, I, when I'm looking into donating my Locks for Love, my, my locks for love um, okay, literally, I had locks. Everyone else had hair. I had locks. Um, when, I'm, when I'm looking into giving my dreads to this organization, I'm looking into this organization because I care about what I'm giving to. Now, so, so hear me. You care about what you're giving to. You're not just kind of like just throwing money out. No. Like, if, if you are spending money in this direction, you're going to give money away, and believe me, being the pastor of a church, I get this a lot. Well, I'm hesitant because the church, right? 
So suddenly, like, you're like, detail, I'm saying search us. You can look at where we spend every penny. That's totally fine. We will, as a member, you have full access to, to look at every dime we spend, right? But you're so curious as to what we're giving to. Because wherever your money is going, your heart is following. Or wherever your heart is, your money is going. And what Jesus is saying in this moment is, if you are giving to this world, it's because your heart is here. Your heart is here. And my prayer is that we would wake up from that. We, we would see that and recognize we need to stop giving to ourselves, Stop giving to our pride. Stop giving to, to the fact that we need to look better. Stop, look, stop giving even to, to when we give away to certain things so we can be seen for these things. At the end of the day, Jesus in Luke 12 or Luke 14 is pushing against don't give to yourself. Give to the kingdom. What did we learn two weeks ago? He knows. He knows, man. He knows where you're giving. Do you believe that he, no, do you believe that he's watching? Okay, there's a word here. The word therefore in our next verse. I've said many times, whenever there is a therefore, ask what the therefore is there for, right? It's not something I invented, but that's honestly, I think, good reading in general. And verse 25 starts off with a therefore. So with the therefore, the premise being, um, we cannot invest in both this world and in eternity. We cannot give ourselves away to this world and eternity. We cannot continue to put our treasures in this world and eternity. Therefore, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. There's another imperative about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is life, is not life more than food and body more than clothing. Okay. Here's where Sean sounds like a conspiracy theorist. Um, I, uh, one of my professors for my master's, Mike Goheen, who wrote the book Drama of Scripture, I've quoted him many times, um, is walking us through um, a class called The Spirits of This Age. And, and the top of The Spirits of This Age was this term consumerism. And when you see this word anxious, it's not, I don't think at all, um, Jesus is using it in the way that we think through a depression and anxiety. This word anxious has way more to do with being concerned or literally translated like double thinking. Like we're, we're, we're being anxious, like this, but we know this. Don't be anxious about that. Um, so, so in that moment, he's saying, be concerned. And, and, and Mike Goheen brings up the spirit of this age has to do with consumerism. And when you hear anxious, and what I think Jesus is laying out in front of us is this word that I think we probably should meditate on. It's this word that uh, we're not too familiar with. And if you have kids, I beg you to teach them from an early age. It's the word contentment. Now, I don't, Jesus doesn't use this word, but I would argue that what the ethos of what Jesus is getting at to push against the, the um, antithesis of being anxious is contentment. Contentment. Now, to the conspiracy theorist thing. Um, I said I've been spending time trying to hope that we would wake up from our stupor in this. Guys, I really believe from the turn of to the 1800s to the 1900s, the 20th century, um, this is where I sound crazy, like a charismatic conspiracy theorist, but give me grace. I really believe Satan has strategically planned the place that we are in currently. Meaning, we have bought into what he has always been planning to do and that we want more. Now, now, biblically, I think this has always been true, right? Because we have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They're perfectly content. But Satan goes, no, 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 you could have more. Right? Like this is, and we see this over and over, almost like the, the cause of 90% of sins. And so here we are. I think this is, now, now I'm going to read some quotes to you, okay? Uh, again, sounding like a conspiracy theorist, but I need you to give me grace here and just track with me for a moment. Even if I, I lose you, come back, okay? Because here, here's what something was said in 1901. A guy named Thomas, uh, Tom, it was Thomas's read uh, uh, book of advertising. It was told in this class about it. So I picked it up and started reading it. I, I want you to listen to the, the very beginning of the book, what, how he describes advertising. This is how he describes advertising. Advertising aims to teach people that they have wants they didn't know they had. So if you're in advertising, you know that. You're watching the McDonald's commercial. I didn't know I was hungry, but I am hungry now. Right? Like, like you didn't know, and so now suddenly, and that's what advertising is aiming for you to do. Now I want you to hear that through the lens of what Jesus is saying. Don't worry about what you don't have. I'll take care of you. Don't be anxious about that. Now, the government caught on to this. Here we go, conspiracy. Um, the government caught on to this, and in uh, 1929, in uh, a U.S. government report, this is what they said about our economy, okay? 
economically, we have a boundless field before us, that there are new wants which will make way endlessly for newer wants as fast as they are satisfied. So our economy is based on the fact that you have things you don't even know, you, or you need things that you don't even know you need. So eventually, we're going to continue to produce with the plan. We're planning on the fact that you're going to wake up to the fact that you need this thing you didn't even know you needed. That's literally the U.S. government report. Ironically enough, right before, if you know your history, the Great Depression, hilarious enough. Right, right, so, so right before that, we, have to, we build our economy. Now, um, there's this video that I really want to suggest. It's not a Christian video at all. Um, it's not even the best made video, but I think it's well worth the watch. It's 27 minutes long, and it's called The Story of Stuff. Okay. Now I'm not pushing like tree hugging. I'm not, this is not at all my agenda. I I promise I'm tying this all into the text, but within the story of stuff, I would challenge you to watch it with your kids. We watch it with our kids and ask questions so we can get at, but here's ultimately how um, our economy is designed. And I'm not saying this like from a view, I'm telling you intentionally designed this is how our economy is designed that we would go work for things that when we go home, we have to have. Now, those things that we have to have, like a TV, tell us we need more things. And so we buy those things, but to buy those things, we have to work. And so we work to go home to things that we have to have. Now, um, in this story of stuff, uh, there's this quote, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard a guy named uh, Victor Lebeau. He's one of the greatest economists of our time. In 1955, he basically lays out before the government how our economy should work practically, what, what we should be doing in all this. And I just want you to hear what he says. Track with me, I promise. I know I sound crazy. Okay? Um, this is what he says. Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption a way of life. Okay? So Jesus is, is juxtaposing this Listen, be content, be at ease. But LeBeau's presenting in front of us an economy that consumption needs to be a way of life. Hear what he says. Demands that consumption, uh, we make consumption a way of life, that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals. Do you hear this? Into rituals. This is, uh, this is a quote verbatim. That we seek our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed, burned up, worn out, replaced, and discarded at an ever-increasing rate. So he would argue that we need to make this religious. Now, here's what's so bizarre about all this, okay? I would argue prophetically, men of God at the turn of the, the 20th century looked at America and said, this is what's happening. They said, I- I'm telling you, money's going to destroy this nation. More appropriately, money's going to destroy the church, and, and I'm just telling you, I'm t- talking with pastors all around the world. This is what pastors, as they look at, and there are brothers and sisters, as they look at the same church that they are part of and going, this idol is killing our brothers and sisters in the U.S. It's killing them. I remember we brought um, three weeks into our church plant, we brought in a guy from India um, who, who we um, supported. And uh, I had lunch with him afterwards and I'd asked him, man, just be honest with me. What do you think the, the biggest thing that, that uh, America is struggling with as far as the church goes? Um, the, the American church, what are we struggling with? And he just simply looked at me dead in the eyes and says, dude, there's a lot of things, but you have way too much stuff. So I'm just telling you, I, I may feel like, this may feel like this is crazy, but if we can argue for a second, just for a second, this might be something you're dealing with. Maybe. Nobody thinks they've got the greed bug, right? But just maybe you are longing for these things. Now, in this, uh, that 27-minute video, I love how the, the narrator says it. She says towards the end, so how did this happen? Well, it didn't just happen. It was designed. She's not a Christian. I would argue this is it. This is how the serpent has sneaked him way into the church, to the American church, and we care so much about things while the church around the world has so little We are so slow to let go when Jesus has freed us to not care about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. You know what's crazy in Jesus' context? They're literally struggling with what they're going to find to eat, what they're going to wear, what they're going to drink. We're struggling with like putting patches on our jeans because they have holes. Well, having holes in your jeans is cool now, but whatever. We're we're struggling like we don't want to be like that guy. We don't have the iPhone 5. we're, We're struggling. And here is Jesus. Do not worry about those things. Do not be concerned about those things. You'll be here for a moment and then you'll be gone. Stop buying into that. 
Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. See it, see it in your own life. I'm not talking to someone else. I'm talking to you right now. I'm talking to my own soul right now. No one else. Don't think of your dad. Don't think of your mom. Don't think of your friend. Think of you. This is an issue we all have. No one's going to the greed conference, to the greed seminar. No one thinks we've got it. Wake up, see that it's consuming you. Now, I think the beauty of what Jesus affords us, hear this, this is awesome. God, brilliant, like could come up with anything, any way to get out of this. Here we are stuck in this caring about the things of this world. He could have come up with like some perfect plan, this crazy thing. Listen to what he says. He gives us three ways to get out of this. (laughs) The simplicity of the Holy Spirit. Look at the birds of the air. They neither, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value, or of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan, to span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, if you don't know Solomon, he's the wisest, richest man to ever walk the earth, and all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So Jesus, in all of his brilliance, says, look at the birds. (laughs) And like, look at the birds. There's two small imperatives, right? Look in verse 26 and in the middle of verse 28, consider. I hate birds. I think... I think they're smelly. I think they're dirty. Um, and, and as the seasons change from summer to winter, I'm, I just put in my winter, uh, uh, winter rye. So I'm covering it right. And I hate birds because here are these birds. They come down and they eat the seed, right? Now, here's what's ironic about this passage. God in that moment is using me who hates them to feed them. You understand? They're eating on my dime. God cares about birds about birds filthy birds do you not think he cares about you do you not think he will provide for you maybe for a moment he will remove things because it is good for your soul maybe just maybe he loves you more than you love yourself maybe maybe he has given you what you have so you can give it all away maybe Now, I don't know. This is why greed and consumerism is so, like, it's not, you can't grab it. It's like sand, and you're trying to to get a hold of it because I can't sit here and say that everyone should be giving 30,000 or everyone should only live on this much or you should only have these things because we can roll it back, right? We want to sit in the Bible and go, why don't we just live on bread and live in a commune and, and that's it? No, no, hear me. This is where it becomes really, really crazy because Jesus in this moment has given you for have you to, to have you wrestle and hear me. Um, that's all I'm trying to put in front of you. I have wrestled with few things. There have been few things that have caused as much turmoil within my marriage as this very idea that I struggle with how much I have. Man, do I struggle. We have a spare bedroom that no one even uses. What in, why? Why do I have it? What am I doing with it? And I struggle and I wrestle. And I'm not saying it is wrong. I'm just putting in front of you, I mean, think about it. If nothing else, wrestle with it. And if you're so afraid to give all of that money away, hear me when I say this, he'll provide. Take it for someone who grew up homeless, had zero money, he'll provide. Man, I've been in situations, Candace and I, we had no idea what we were going to do for Christmas. We zero money, zero money. Well, let's be honest, negative money, okay? Freaking, yeah, negative money, okay? And I'm telling you, before I was ever a pastor, it's it's not the reason it was given to me, one of the pastors came up to me and said, dude, somebody in this church just wanted to give this to you. $500. And hear me, we made a list of everything we would have bought for Christmas, but we didn't have enough money to buy anything. So, well, if we want, what? $497, $500. He will provide. You know, last year, um, actually early part this year, um, we really felt like God wanted us to adopt a baby girl, at least foster. And so we're in this process. The problem is we can't because we have one vehicle that, well, needed to be burned to the ground. Um, the doors didn't open. You'd be trapped in the inside and stuff. So they came and observed that and said, actually, you can't use this. Um, so so we, we couldn't use this vehicle. So we ended up giving it to someone. We only had one vehicle that didn't seat all of our people. So we did not have a vehicle so we can adopt um, uh, this baby girl. 
And I'm not kidding. Listen to me. Earlier this year, and I know they don't like me saying this, but I'm going to put them on blast right now. The clerks gave us a vehicle. And I don't mean like what some of you millennials drive vehicle, like this beater. I mean a 2013 Chevy Traverse, seats eight people, gave it to us. He'll provide. He'll provide, man. Now, that may seem so like trivial, like you need a car. No, listen to me. I wish I had a clean answer as what you can and cannot have. I'm just telling you, in this moment, he cares about the birds. He definitely cares about you. He'll provide. You don't need to work for more, to have more. Man, breathe. He'll provide. Now, let's wrap this up because the last part of the section goes at this. Um, Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Um, this obviously is consummating everything we've talk, talked about up to this point. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. If you don't know what a Gentile is, a Gentile is somebody, at least within our context, who is not a Christian, we'll say. Not of the people of God. A Gentile in Jesus' context is anyone who's not a Jew. Um, so the Gentiles, people who are not in the kingdom of God, they worry about the new Jordans. I don't worry about the new Jordans. Like, they worry about the new Lexus. I don't worry about that. They worry about these things. My money is going somewhere else. Don't, don't center. Don't center. Don't try to center it. Let, it. let it affect you. Let it jar you. You have all this. Think about all that you have before you re-up on that next cable bill with six packages. Ne- think about next time before you buy a car, before you think you need that. Pray and think. And I would not say it's a sin to buy any of those things, but I would say it's a sin for at least us not to stop in the moment and ask if we should have them. That's all I'm saying. And before we worry about, we're anxious about all that we have, all that we could, we could take, what we'd eat, what we'd drink. The Gentiles worry about these things. Your heavenly father knows uh, that you need them all. Verse 33, and here's, here's the last imperative, and it is our, our, uh, our turning point. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Um, we're going to spend probably in the next year um, a Sunday going through 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And in this passage, it's so awesome that Paul, the apostle Paul who's writing this, basically says we need to give because you'll get back. And we're super excited. The prosperity gospel has taken that right and said if you give, like turn on TBN, you hear it, you see it. Uh, uh, if you give, you'll be given $100. If you give $10, whatever. But here's what, what Paul says. If you give, you'll be given back, <laughs> you ready? In righteousness. Now, ain't nobody going, yes, give me some of that. But, but, but here it is. If you give, he's talking totally financially, you'll be given back in righteousness. And then he says, you'll grow in grace. So I think what Jesus is putting on the table is, before we seek any of the things of this world, we probably should filter everything to go, if I give to the thing of this world or I buy the thing of this world, does it, is it good for, am I giving to the kingdom of God? Now that sounds crazy radical, right? That sounds like, whoa, take it easy. I'm just telling you, 70% of the Christians all around the world are living like that. Uh, guys, listen, you got to wake up from this. We've lived in suburbia for far too long, and, it's, and it's, we begin to believe the lies that we can just pull into our garage, close it, not engage with our neighbors. We feel like we, we can continue to spend outlandish amounts of money in certain areas. I'm telling you, we believe the lies. And a part of me, even at times, if I was being honest, has prayed for persecution for the Western church and has prayed for poverty. That we would wake up because I think it's better for our souls to lose an eye or a hand and not enter into the kingdom of God. May we see this. May we know this to be true and not worry about what is going to come tomorrow, what we're going to have, and that's how he ultimately finishes, is it not? Verse 34, there do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Then how am I going to pay? If I give everything, how am I going to pay? If I, if I give this way, what am I going to? Don't worry about that. He'll take care of you. Man, I miss this in the charismatic church. Testimonial Sunday, people be like, man, like I, I was trying to catch the bus, and I missed the bus because like Satan was attacking me. So I ran four miles to catch the next bus. God is so good. Like you ran four miles. Like what do you, like God is good, right? Everything within them, God provides, okay? I miss that so much that we would see the beauty and what God has given us in all of this. Now I started this saying, I want to be puddle glum, but who am I kidding? I'm not the one saying this. Jesus is puddle glum. Jesus is the one who does not look from heaven, who, listen, it's not that the dude could just have the Jordans. His the Jordans were his idea. You understand? 
Like the design from the Lexus came from an image bearer of God. He thought of that idea. He could have had whatever, whenever, however he wanted. He leaves all that. But before he does, check this out. He doesn't go, hey, give everything. Like it's some like comical gesture to give. Like go do this, make me laugh. No, no, no. He himself, according to 2 Corinthians 8, becomes poor so that we might be rich. Man, if we remember our story well enough, the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to even lay his head. He does not just tell you to go, but he has lived this life in such a way that the kingdom of God would be known by all men. God, the Father, would be glorified to say, I don't need to have all these things. This is not what it's about. I'm here for a moment. I will be gone. May we follow that guy. May we not follow Kellogg's. May we not follow Legos. May we not follow uh, Lexus. May we not follow those guys. Listen, they're going to let us down. Let's follow that guy. He's the one who gave everything. He's the one who's calling us to follow him. Let's do it well, man. Let's do it well. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. So much for who you are. Um, I pray, God, that, uh, as I said in the beginning, and you know, I've prayed uh, this week that this demonic spirit that is consuming us, that is tricking us, that is lying to us, that we have to have, I pray that it would be broken. I pray that this would be seen deep within the reservoirs of our heart, that we would see the inklings that, that pull us towards, that we know the new iPhone's going to let us down. We know that these new trinkets are going to let us down, but we continue to buy into it for happiness. We, we continue to follow LeBeau's model of economy, and I pray, God, that you would help us see that this truly is a spiritual attack against our souls, that we're the rich man that struggles with getting into the kingdom of God like a camel going through the eye of a needle. We're that person. Because we're being blinded by the God of this world. Help us see that. May every purchase, God, may every direction we, we, we go into giving, may it be towards the kingdom of God. May we seek your kingdom first. May we seek your righteousness first. And then we know at the end of the day, you'll take care of us. These things like food and water and clothing, You'll take care of us. You will. There's many who even go without today, and we can question, but yet we just sit in this promise. You'll take care of us. You'll take care of us. You know. You care about the birds, so we know you care about us. When you care about inanimate objects like, like grass, you care about us. Thank you so much, Jesus, for your words of rebuke. Thank you so much, Jesus, for your words of direction. May we live our life in that way. We love you. We praise you. Holy Spirit, we desperately need you to walk this out well. In Jesus' name, amen.